Good morning, church family. Good to see you all. Um, you ever feel like you're just an hour ahead in life? <laughs> and your mind hasn't caught up to where your body was telling you where you, know, you should be right now and stuff? It's amazing. God created the heavens and earth, but we can change the time just like that, can't we, when we want to, back and forth. Which, by the way, if I were in control of everything, I would just keep going backwards. Just keep going backwards so we can every time just get more and more. Eventually, it'll catch back up, right? Clock's right twice a day, so um, if it's not working. So anyways, uh, thank you so much for being here. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you have failed to realize that daylight savings time. And you're wondering why you're tired and your Apple phone just automatically woke you up earlier or feeling that way. That's why. It's because daylight savings is here whether you like it or not. But we are continuing the book of James. Uh, we only have a couple more weeks. We have this week and one more week in it. And so uh, we're coming to the end of the journey. Some of you are maybe a little too thrilled about that. And maybe some of you are disappointed. But I don't know. If you're like me, I love James, but it's eating my lunch. I want something a little more uh, lighthearted going on. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. So we consider, continue this series called A Faith That Works. Now, I know I say this every week, but it's important to note, man, that James is just a practical book. Uh, James, actually, most scholars believe is probably one of the first books written uh, of all the New Testament books and stuff. And he's probably one of the quickest to kind of address some issues. Like, hey, as people are saying, what does this look like? How do I, how do I follow Christ? How do I know if I'm doing the right stuff? And James is kind of, most believe, one of the first ones to come out and say, well, let me give you some guidance. Let me do some quick, easy steps. This is what it should look like, and so you can kind of know what it is. And so we're in James chapter 5, and talking about a fun question today is this. How patient are you? That's the question going to be today. Uh, we've been talking through James, kind of talked about these different tests that you can look at your life to see if, if God's spirit, if, if God's fruit is really taking root in your life. How can you tell? And, and today he talks about your patience. And so here's the question I'm going to ask as, as we enjoy some crowd participation. If you're next to loved ones, this is going to get really interesting. Hey, I'm going to ask you this. Here's the question. Is it difficult for you to be patient? With the person next to you, look at them and say real quick, yes or no, and then give an explanation of why you gave that answer. And if you're with a loved one, feel free to correct them after they give you the wrong answer that they think they are. So take a second, and we will come back and, and circle back in the saying. So answer that question. Is it difficult for you to be patient? And, and give a quick example of, of why you answered that way. All right, I'm getting tired of waiting. Let's bring it back in. Come on. Some of you got that. A little impatient. If you don't know whether you're impatient or not, just, just really the test is, and how do you drive? I guess I found that out the other day. Uh, Emily and I were in the car, and we were driving, and 
I don't call it road rage. She does. You know, I don't know. Uh, so I'm, I'm driving, and some people, and I'm like, these people, oh my goodness, when they not get out of the way, and I'm, I'm just yelling up a storm at them and stuff, and uh, she, she didn't know. I don't know what letter, maybe it's the Spirit of God. She goes, what are you preaching on Sunday? <laughs> I said, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I said, patience, and she goes, oh, it's one of those you know, do as I say, but not as I do sermons, huh? And I said, thank you, dear. Appreciate that. I don't know if you consider yourself patient or not. It might change your perspective when you know the definition of patience. Because you're like, yeah, I can wait. I can wait, but that's not necessarily what patience is. Patience is this. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate delays, trouble, or suffering. <laughs> Here it is. Without getting angry or upset. Lost me on that part right there. Cut off that part of the definition. You got me. But the last part. See, most of us can wait. But can we do it without getting angry and upset, without venting, whether out loud or in our heart, whichever it is, it doesn't matter. It reminds me of a story I came across of a man in Los Angeles, California, who was arrested for negligently discharging his 38 caliber weapon at his house. You see, he shot his toilet. He was at his house, and the toilet got clogged because his daughter flushed a, a hairbrush in the toilet, and in frustration, unloaded a full magazine of his gun onto his toilet. Uh, so he shot the offending toilet. Uh, as they said, I have no word on the toilet's condition, but the man's patience was long gone. Uh, man, patience can go right out the window real quick. And today James talks about how can you tell if, this, if the Spirit of God is truly residing in me? Well, the really test is how is your patience? What does your patience look like? Now, now the question, whenever I heard it and I was reading through this text, why is patience such a big deal? Like, like, why does God care whether or not I'm patient? Why does he care that I yell at people when I drive and they need an education on how to, I'm going to write a book pretty soon and sell it all over about what it looks like to drive a car. Well, why does he care? I, I love, and I think the reality is this, is our patience is one of the greatest witnesses we'll have to the lost world because it's unnatural. It's unnatural for us to be patient. Even in American culture, everything is right now. The attention span, even for sermons, I'm told that if I go over 25, 30 minutes, your patience is gone because it, it's just, you've, you've lost it. Everywhere. Well, like even you look at some of our cultural stuff, the average credit card debt nowadays is $5,668. The average credit card debt, people just don't want to wait. And so I'll just go buy it right now. And we think that might get old, better in our older age, but what's interesting is individuals who are 75 years or older have a high, higher average credit card debt of $8,100. We, we want stuff now. Fast food times. The average fast food time is 5 minutes and 57 seconds. Uh, Wendy's, if you're wondering, is the fastest of all. If you want to go to Wendy's, it's because nobody eats Wendy's, I think. I don't know. Uh, Wendy's is 2 minutes and 9 seconds, their average fast food time. Taco Bell, 2 minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, Chick-fil-A, which I thought would be fastest, is like number four on the list, three minutes and ten seconds. We, we, if we have to wait any longer, we start going, what is wrong with my burger not being instantly done and right here in front of me? Cell phone nowadays, you can get instant internet speed. You can get download speed of zero seconds right now. If you don't know how valuable that is, you don't understand old dial-up. Eh, eh. <laughs> you laugh and what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, you're waiting for this thing to come up. I mean, it's like nowadays we're like, oh my goodness, I have to wait two seconds for this thing to pop up and show me a full 4K video going on. I mean, we just, we do not have patience. Patience is foreign to our culture. And so when you see someone who is patient, you, there's something that draws attention to say, well, what's different about you? This isn't natural. This isn't the American way. This isn't part of our culture. 
James, I think, in some ways is kind of saying this, what we're going to look at today, is that your, patient, your patience is a testimony of God's faithfulness. Or to put it in, I like better terms, is this. Here's the big idea. Be patient because it makes God look good. Plain and simple as that. And so if you have your Bibles, look at James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12, and we'll read what's going on. If you don't remember, last week James talks about those who misuse their wealth, misuse their resources to their own personal gain and how there's really God's and how we can abuse that. And, God, and he has very harsh language to those people. I mean, the whole tone, if you remember from last week, was that there was no sense of repentance, this is what you do. It's like you're just having judgment coming your way. And so read what happens in James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen that the outcome the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with other, any, any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Let, let's unpack a lot what's going on here. I love it starts in verse 7. It says, therefore. I love one of my uh, college professors said this. Anytime you come in Scripture and it says, therefore, you have to ask, what is that therefore, therefore? Like, wh- what is he trying to get at? It's a transition. It's a transition that from the previous text to the next, from verses 1 through 6, we just talked about. He's talking about the miseries coming to these rich oppressors, which understand the people he's talking to are people who are oppressing probably other people in the congregation. You see, if you're living out your faith, if you're being faithful in your obedience to the Lord, it's being publicized. Your life and their time, who Jan- the audience James is talking to, is ostracizing you and affecting every aspect of your life. It's not just making you unpopular. It's making where people don't want to buy purchase goods from you. You can no longer supply and provide for your family. And the people who are not are doing fine and they're doing wealthy and they're even taking it and abusing and taking advantage of those who do not have. And so when he says therefore, he's transitioning to a new thought. He's transitioning to a different thing. He's going from, he doesn't talk about God's justice and stuff after that. You see, when he says therefore, he's implying something that you who you heard what I said to them, you understand that I'll get vengeance for you. I will do justice. He doesn't talk anymore after that about, listen, God will be just. God will take, those who oppress you, God will take care of. Don't worry about it. He doesn't have to say that. It's implied that they understand and know that, listen, God is just and the good judge will come through. And people who do wrong to me, listen, it's not your job to get vengeance. That's God. Let him deal with them. You continue to be patient and be faithful with you. And he doesn't bring it up. He doesn't say it to them because it's supposed to be understood. They understand this, that I believe God has my back. And even though in this life I may face difficulties and hardships and people may oppress me and life may be difficult, it's not my job to retire. It's not my job to fight back. God will take care of it. Therefore, he says, be patient. He starts out. Therefore, you understand, I got this. I got them taken care of. Quit quit focusing on them. You focus on yourself. A lot of times in counseling I've heard and I've seen in my own life and stuff, that's, that's what happens. When you come to counseling, what happens? You're focused on the other partner, how they can get fixed. It's like, listen, you, you can't fix them. You just focus on yourself. 
James starts with this. He says, be patient. As a matter of fact, he says it twice. He sandwiches in there. There's no doubt what he's talking about. He says, brothers and sisters, be patient until what? The Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the field and is patient with it until it receives its early and late rains. He says it again. You must also what? Be patient. Twice he sandwiches. Listen, patience is important to James. You need patience. The question comes up, why should we be patient? Why, why should we be patient? Well, verse 7, he unpacks the reasoning. He says, be patient because it's worth the wait. He says, you need to look in anticipation that the Lord's going to come back. Know this, listen, trust that God's good on his word. He's going to come through. And if you believe in him, there's an act of, listen, I don't know when, but I trust him. When you trust the Lord and you believe in his faithfulness, you know that at some point, God's going to come through. God's going to come back. As a matter of fact, he uses other language here. He says, we're living in the last days. My grandpa used to say that to me all the time. Oh, these are the last days. I'm like, Grandpa, you've been saying that for 15 years. At what day is it going to be the last day? I don't know when the Lord's going to come back, but as I love what someone once said, I know we're closer to it today than we were yesterday. Every day we're getting closer. Ever since Christ rose to heaven, he said, listen, I'm going to come back in. We are coming in the last days. At some point, Christ is going to come back, and we live every day like it's our last, like there's something to do. We have business to do. And he uses this example. I love James. James is a preacher. He loves to use illustrations. He says, look at the farmer. Look at the farmer. They go and work, and what happened? They have no control over the rains. You don't know when the rains are going to come. You don't, listen, what does the farmer do? If they sit and wait and don't do anything, what's going to happen when the rain is going to actually come? It's going to be wasted. It's all going to be wasted. My biological father is a cotton farmer in West Texas, and I talk to him all the time. How are the crops? That's a conversation we have. How are the crops doing this year? I know with him, he has zero control over the elements, but every day he goes out, he tills, and he works. He does hard work every day preparing for something that is beyond his control, but he believes that someday it's going to come, and when that day comes, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. My, my patience is going to pay off. I have to be diligent and faithful until the Lord comes. And so he said, listen, it's worth the way. You have to believe that Jesus is going to begin his, his word. It comes down to this. Do you trust in God's faithfulness and timing? Are you patient to believe that God will come through? Did, did you know that one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament makes some sort of reference to Jesus coming again? One out of every 13. Why? He says, wants to keep us in tune. Hey, don't forget, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The groom's coming back for his bride. Don't lose sight of what's coming. Don't lose sight of the other side of heaven. Do you know there are five times as many prophecies regarding Christ's second coming than there were his first? Because he wants to keep our eyes and ears and pointers all pointing forward that, listen, Jesus is coming back someday. You don't know when that rain's going to come. But listen, you need to be faithful, tilling that ground, pruning up those weeds, being faithful. Why? Because when it comes, God's going to come and bless, and he's going to come through. Why does this matter? Because this is all an act of faith. Ultimately, our patience is tied to our faith. Faith is trusting in something that has yet come. I love someone says this, faith is about knowing, isn't about knowing everything. Faith is trusting in what you don't know based on what you do. And that's why he uses these Old Testament examples. He's like, look at the prophets, look at them, look at their example. If you need to say, well, how do I know? Well, look what he did in the past. He's been faithful. I don't know what God's going to do tomorrow, but I know what he did yesterday. And because I know what he did yesterday and the day before, I can trust that maybe tomorrow he's going to come through. And maybe the next day, but I know God will come through. Do you show patience? Our patience points people to Christ. 
And this whole text is talking about you need to have patience in your life because your patience will be a witness to other people. You understand this. You are ambassadors for Christ. Paul says that in First uh, 2 Corinthians. I can't remember off the top of my head. He says that in one of those. You are ambassadors for Christ. as though God's making his appeal through you. And if as ambassadors of Christ, we walk, walk around in constant fear and patience, what does that say about our God? They, they look at you and go, you, you really don't seem like you have it together. You really don't seem like you trust God's going to come through. Why? Man, maybe your God's not good. You're the one has been following him. And so he unpacks in this verse 8 through 12 about where you should visually, visually see patience in our life. Where, where should patience come out? Where should we see it? And he look at verse 8. He says this. He says, you must also be patient. He says, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. But where should you see patience in this? The first thing is this. It's in your demeanor. It's how you carry yourself. That word strengthen your heart literally means to cause to stand up, prop up your heart. In other words, walk around with confidence and boldness. Like, listen, my, my Lord's coming back. There, there's a whole difference in posture when I come like, I think Jesus is coming. I don't know, guys. You know, I hope he is. Like I say, listen, God's coming back. When you have boldness, like prop your heart art and heart up in confidence and show your boldness that I believe my God is good and I trust in his faithfulness and he might not come back in my lifetime and do what as I want, but I'm telling you, he will come back before eternity comes. And I know in this life or the next, he will show his faithfulness. It's all about an image of your confidence, your posture, knowing that, listen, at the end of the day, I have faith and trust that my God is good and he will come through. And our patience points to that trust, that belief that God is good. It's amazing how quickly that changes when difficulties hits, when life gets difficult. How do you do this? How do I focus? How do I have this confidence when life doesn't feel good, when things are so bad, when things are difficult? How do I have this confidence? It's all about this. It's about focusing on the promises and keeping a bigger picture in mind. I like to say it like this. You need to have 50-20 vision. You've heard a 20-20 vision, but maybe you need 50-20 vision. Genesis 50-20 says this, talking about a guy named Joseph. If you don't know who Joseph is, Joseph is one of the early fathers of the church and stuff, of, of Israel and their history. He's the last character you see in the book of Genesis. And he's a guy who's done everything right, but yet hardship comes over and over. His brothers sold him into slavery because they hated him. They were jealous of him. He does everything right, and he gets accused of having an inappropriate relationship with someone he didn't have an affair with. He goes through all these hardships. He's done everything right, and his life just is terrible. And you're like, what's going on? And how easy would it be for him to go, God, like, I give up. What are you going to do? And he continues to be faithful, and God continues, even in his hardship, bless him and raises him up to positions he would never be in. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you see a situation where he begins to see God's hand at work, and everything begins to make perspective when he looks back. He says this, that Joseph said to them, he said, do not be afraid. He's talking to his brothers who come to him for the first time after they've sold him to slavery, and they see him. He, he said, don't be afraid for what you've done. He said, I am in the place that God wanted me to be. He said, you planned evil against me? But God planned it for the good to bring about the present result of the survival of many people. I, I patiently waited, and my patience and my character I held on to, and guess what? At the end, God came not just vindicating me, but used that for his glory and his purpose. He had a plan all along. And I'm telling you, when you're going through suffering, you're going through misery, it's hard to see God is good and God has a plan when it seems like chaos is ruling in my life. But we worship a sovereign God that uses foreign oppressors, that uses people of wickedness to fulfill still his own plan. It's not the way he wants, but he uses those still to accomplish his will. And our patience gives witness to God. 
As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 3.15 says this. It says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have. He says, but do this in gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Don't mistake, the whole thing he's talking about here is you being a witness. You are an ambassador for Christ. If you belong to Christ, you need to show and exemplify what patience is. It shows that I trust in what I don't have yet. I trust that my God's going to come through. I know that he's going to be faithful. I can trust him. What does this look like? It's, it's like patiently sitting at the door knowing he's going to come. I love when Emily and I first got married, uh, we, bought a, we got a puppy named Gabby. It's half lab, half wine rainer. And it seems like everybody does. They buy a puppy and they pretend like it's a baby, right? Ooh, they walk around. They let sleep in their bed. They do all sorts of stuff. And then you have kids. You're like, all right, go to the garage. You know what I mean? Like, but, I mean, you, you treat it like it's your baby. And so we had this dog named Gabby, and we loved it, and it was our baby. And I remember we'd have to go drop it off at the, the grandparents, you know, for the grand puppy and stuff like that, for camps. And Emily would drive off crying and all that sort of stuff. Oh, my dog. Now we're like, uh, you know, whatever. Now, and so we go through all that. And I remember whenever I would go be at school and I'd come back the same time every day when I'd walk in the door and open the door, there's Gabby sitting there, sitting down, wagging that tail, just ready for me to come in. She, she knew at some point uh, her master's going to come inside that door. Even to the point of sometimes I went stuff after and I'd go and I wouldn't come exact time, she would still wait and wait and wait at the door knowing my master's going to come at some point and every moment wagging that tail, waiting, like, I know, he's going to come. Any second, I know he's going to come. I, I know, any second. Emily said one day, she sat there all day waiting for me to come. And when I walked in, the excitement level was there from the time that she first waited all the way until the end. That's what patiently looking for the Lord is like. It's that confidence. He hasn't come right when I thought he would, but he's coming. I know he is. You might not believe, I'm telling you, he's coming. I'm sitting on the tour, my, my, my tail is wagging, I'm ready. And so he talks about your demeanor. Have a demeanor that shows confidence in your Lord. Verse 8, he said, Verse 9, he says, not just in your demeanor should you see it, but you should also see it in your speech. You should have patience in your speech. Listen, he says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands, stands at the door. What's going on is people are complaining because of their circumstance. Like, well, if they were more faithful, they would be like me. Or, man, why do I get, they're complaining, they're griping because they see that they believe God's blessing them but not them. Why do they give them stuff that I should do? I'm the one that's been faithful. And they're upset and they're frustrated and they're grumbling and it's stirring and it's like doing no good. And he's like, listen, live your life as though God were always watching because he is. The judge is there. Quit doing this. And so when we show patience in our speech, there's something that points people to Christ because, listen, even though harsh says, I'm not complaining. I love whenever we were uh, at College Heights, we had a friend of ours come and do a session with the girls for a girls' ministry event we did. Her name is Heather Hughes. She came and spoke to the girls about their language and their tone of voice. And she said this. She said, listen, she talked about venting. She goes, did you know venting is not a biblical term? Nowhere in Scripture can I find it as biblical. Okay, just get stuff off your chest and just vent and go do it. As a matter of fact, I love, she said this. She said, venting, is, she said, complaining with no positive solution is just gossip incognito. When all we do is gripe and gripe. Griping pushes people farther and far from God, and it shows that we have no trust that God's goodness has come through. 
If you don't think our words matter, you haven't listened to James. Every chapter of the book, he talks about your words. Your words have power. And when we complain, it makes people think, man, I don't really think they know God. I think all they do is gripe. They don't trust him. They don't trust and speak of his goodness. They reluctantly wait. I love what Mark Twain once said. Mark Twain is one of the most quotable people ever. I love stuff he said. He said this. He said, don't complain and talk about all your problems. He said, 80% of people don't care. The other 20% will think you deserve it. (laughs) When we complain, when we complain, listen, it makes people question the goodness of God. Jesus would say, out from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can go around and pretend like God's good, act like he's good, but if your words say something different, what are they going to follow? Your words. James ultimately says this, don't gripe because it doesn't help. You're not pointing anybody to Christ. As a matter of fact, he uses verse 10 through 11. He talks about these Old Testament prophets. Look at, the, look at the examples. Look at those who came before you. They suffered, and you get what? They, they held their tongue. They, held, they even used Job. Job would be a guy that you could almost point to and go, like, didn't he complain? No, he came and talked to God. He never grabbed God. He came and said, God, what's going on? But he never turned his back on it. He held to his faithfulness. Even as his friends tried to get him to doubt and told him, hey, what you're doing is wrong and try to condemn him for stuff he didn't do, Job still held his own. Some of us feel like Job sometimes. None of us want to be Job, but we're so grateful for the witness he gave, isn't it? Reality is we need to come be the same example. He's like, be the same type of example they are. And so we need to show it in our demeanor, this aspect of patience. Like, listen, I believe God is going to come through any second. I'm sitting confidently. We use it in our speech as though we believe. Not just practice what you preach, but preach what you practice as well. But the last thing I think he says in verse 12, which is an interesting text that I struggle with, is in your integrity. I wrestle and wrestle. Some people question whether verse 12 goes with this section. It's a weird part of James. He talks about all this sort of stuff, and then he says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. Just simply let your yes be yes and no me no. What what is he talking about here? And and whatever he's talking about here is the most important because why? He says, above all, listen, whatever you've heard, don't miss this one. How does it connect back if he's talking about us being an example, and us modeling, being ambassadors and showing people? He says, do it with your integrity. Simply do what your word says. There's a lot of debate and discussion about what's going on here and how does this connect. What's going on, I believe, from what I've read is this, that you have people making empty promises to get quick gains. Most scholars actually believe that what they're doing is they're going to creditors is like, listen, I promise I'm good for the money. They're struggling financially and they're saying, listen, I, just, I need this. I swear to God I'll give you the money. I swear, I promise and all is good. I'm, I, I promise. They're making all these things. It's a quick fix, something really quick to get a quick answer and get something real quick to ease their tension. He's like, listen, quit making these promises. Just, just do what you say you're going to do. Some people try to go and look at this text and say, well, this is about you shouldn't go in debt. I do think that's what's going on here, but I don't think that's what James is saying about not going in debt right here. I think James is saying this, listen, be a person of your word. Because if you're not trustworthy, guess what? God's not going to look trustworthy. S- simply earn the respect with time on what you say you're going to do. And you know what that looks like today? It looks like us today often making commitments and not following through in the church. We're in the world today. Oh, I'll do this, and then we don't fall through. I, I think of even the situation came here. I came here after this building was built. They did a big capital campaign to go and pursue all this sort of stuff. They had a lot of money promised that they were going to come through. People that promised they continue to give to help pay off. Uh, from what I understand, a fraction followed through with that. 
Listen, what, what happens then? What happened then? It made people look back and go, well, was that really God's will? Well, why didn't God, listen, God, God was all over that. The problem is people weren't faithful in following through, letting their yes be yes and no be no. When we don't fall through, it not only causes crosses people to question our trustworthiness, it makes people question God's trustworthiness. If I can't trust you in the words you say, how can I trust your God? I think in my own life about me being a bad witness. I know I've shared this before. When I was in college at OBU, a young student living in the dorms, loved my sleep, loved staying up late at night, and I was a student minister at a church. And we had this young seventh grade girl named Lauren that came, and she started getting connected. She'd been going for about a month to two months, and she came and asked me. She said, hey, we have FCA. Would you be willing to come and speak at our, at our FCA? I said, sure, you know, just not even really thinking about, yeah, just trying to look good, hey, whatever. And so I tell her that, and then the next week comes up, I said, when is it? She says, it's tomorrow. I said, what time is it? She goes, oh, yeah, we meet at 6.30. And I go, mm. I've already told her, yes, but I ain't getting up at 6.30. Like, are you kidding me? So what am I going to do? I'll tell you, I'm embarrassed to say this. I already decided, like, well, I'll just, I may sleep in if I come, whatever stuff. I slept in. I completely, I completely bailed on her. And I'd already made up my mind. I was going to go the next time just to Paul. Like, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. It's not a big deal. She came to church the next Wednesday, and I could tell there was something wrong with her. And I walked up to Lauren, and I, I already had my excuse in pocket, ready to go. I said, hey, Lauren, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, my alarm, nigga, I made up some sort of lie. I'm going to, I know, don't judge. I see the casting judgment glares at me right now. Shame on you, too. I confessed her. I said, I'm so sorry. And, man, that's something that rocked me to the core that day, because I'll never forget saying that. <laughs> man, by the grace of God, this little girl, her, her eyes started welting up, and she just began to, just to sob. And she told me, she said, it's okay. And she let me off the hook with that. And I said, well, I hope it wasn't a big deal. She goes, well, she goes, we sat there for an hour, and all the students were there waiting for you to come, and nothing happened. And she goes, I, I, I was really embarrassed. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I, I can maybe try to come next week. She goes, no, I don't think I'm going back. And here's the thing, like, I, I look back at that situation, and man, I'm glad God shook me up for that, because here's the thing, I, I can't help but think, what does that girl now think about God? And when God says, hey, I got you, and yet her youth minister, an ambassador, representative of Christ, come his bell on her, when's she going to trust that? When Scripture talks about God being our heavenly Father, and our earthly fathers don't follow through on their words and are not trustworthy. What, what happens then? When they come crowd to God, listen, I don't know if God will because my dad didn't do it. L listen, our, our words matter. And so he says, listen, it's simply this. Quit, quit making promises. Quit swearing you'll do stuff. J just do it. You know what takes time? Earning the respect and trust of other people. But listen, you do it from being faithful time and time again. And when you do and you represent the name of Christ, guess what? People look at God in a whole different light. When we as Christians constantly bail on our word and we don't fall through, what happens? They look at God in a different light. Like, I don't know if I can trust God because I can't trust them. And he's talking about, listen, just, just be, be an example of patience. I'm, I'm patient. Why? Because I trust God. It's as simple as that. I don't worry about tomorrow because I have everything I need in Christ right now, and I know he's going to come through and give the rest. I know he's giving me the deposit of the Holy Spirit, and someday he's going to come cash that back in in my life, and he's going to come and use that. See, ultimately, I think James is saying this, be patient because it makes God look good. If you're a follower of Christ, you're meant to be an example. What scares me nowadays, and I'm just going to get on a little soapbox, is the great exodus we see nowadays at churches and the great shuffle you're seeing. 
talk to pastors all the time, and people are jumping from church to church and church and church to church because we're, we're not patient. We're not willing to wait and stand with the longstanding, the suffering that sometimes churches need to be edified and grown. Can I, can I tell you, church is not a perfect place. We're, we're made up of broken people. You have a broken pastor that makes a lot of mistakes. I love to say to someone I quoted that's not mine, it's someone else's, they said this, at church you get the best and worst of humanity, and that's exactly how it's supposed to be. If we don't get the worst of people, then who are we ministering to? But the reality is, as church goes tough and things get difficult, we go, I just don't want to sit and wait this, so we bail and go to the next church that seems better at the moment. And we go from place to place, and guess what? Church always stays in its infancy. It's never grown. It's never edified. It never becomes better because we don't stick it out and say, listen, I trust this is the bride of Christ, and I know she ain't pretty right now, but if I would stay and work through it, listen, God's going to do something beautiful in her. And it's sad. And I talk to pastors all the time, like, man, we just see it all over. God will, ultimately he's saying this, God will produce a fruit in those who are patient and persevere. That, that's the whole summary of James' book. If you'll just be patient and you'll persevere, listen, God will bring fruit in your life. I promise you that. Be patient, trust it. I'm grateful for missionaries who set this example. When I was at OBU studying about William Carey who went to India to say, because there was gospel never been taken to India. He wanted to take the gospel there and he wanted to do it. Do you realize it took him seven years before he saw his first convert? Seven years. Seven years upon your heart and soul before you saw one person get saved. The gospel spreading like wildfire there, and it's all pointed back because of William Carey. Do you know in Africa, it took 14 years for the first person to accept Christ? You know in New Zealand, it took nine years of preaching the gospel before the first person saw Christ? In Tahiti, it took 16 years. Listen, we can't be impatient with the work of God. We have to be faithful. I desperately want to bring the baptismal up here and start baptizing. It's driving me crazy. I'm telling you right, it's driving me crazy that we're not baptizing people, that people are not getting saved. And we're going to keep preaching the gospel, but you know what? We're not going to give up because I believe that if we keep preaching this message, we keep doing this thing, we keep pushing and challenging. Listen, God will bring fruit in the life of this church and the life of this people. My fear is some of you will abandon shit before we ever get to that point. And go to the next one down the street. And listen, I'm all about other churches, man. They're not our competition. If you feel like you can get better served and plugged in, and go. We, we want to support that and help that. But if God's brought you here, be patient, get plugged in, and do something. Now, I'm, I'm off my soapbox now, so I'm sorry about that. My mama told me not to do that, so no, I'm just kidding. My, my question is this, listen. Where is your patience being tested right now? This, this could be in your personal life. This could be in your church, whatever it is. Where, where is your patience being tested right now? You've pleaded to God, God, I, man, I need this. And God says, wait, and you don't like that. Where, I, I don't know you, know, you know your story. Right now, in your heart, what is that with God? That you're like, God, will you keep looking to the promises? Let me ask you this again. Where are you looking for the quick fix? Where, where are you looking for a Wendy's meal when God wants to give you a filet mignon? Or if you're a vegan, I don't know what vegans eat, but something, tofu, whatever it is, you know. What are you waiting for? I, I can be patient because I know where my hope lies. The quick fix I have is in salvation through Jesus Christ. He paid that price on the cross, and if I pray right now, just as I have when I was eight years old and came to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know where I'll go. I, I know that I'm not saved. I know that I can't save myself, and I place my hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe that his sacrifice on the cross paid for my sins. And when I place my trust in him, my quick fix is right there that my salvation was paid for. 
There's a lot of things I can't promise you that will come, but listen, I can promise you right now that if you pray that same thing, that that's a quick fix you can get right now. You can have the same promise of eternity that I have. And right now, my job in life is to keep tilling the ground, keep working it. And any day, God's going to open the floodwaters. And it might not be in my lifetime I see it, but God will because he's good, he's faithful, he's just, and he's sovereign. The question is, do you know that same Savior I'm talking about? And so as I pray, I'm going to ask that you'd be willing to submit to that. If you're a child of God, a member of his church, listen, you might need to ask God, hey, I need a new dose of patience. I need a new dose of reality. Help, help remind me of your promises and trust in those things. If you've never placed your hope and love in Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ, listen, you have no promises. What you're looking for, I'm not trying to sound Debbie down, like what you're looking forward to is not good. But if you place your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, then you can have salvation. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. And as I pray, elders are going to come forward. And if you need to respond, I encourage you to do that. And maybe you need someone to pray for you. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's something else that you say, I'm just struggling right now and I'm impatient. I just need prayer. I would encourage you to come forward. If we run out of people, I'll recruit more people to come up and pray with you. But you do that. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much for your promises. God, I pray that we as Christians would be a beacon of an example of what it looks like to live with hope, to live with faith. God, I know over the last two years, three years, I've really struggled with this idea of patience, and you've taught me just I need to be patient and persevere. So God, I pray you'd remind me of your truths, of your word, of your scripture, of what you say. Help me place my hope and trust in that. God, I pray for those on the sound of my voice who have never placed their faith in you. God, I pray that they would get up and come talk to one of our elders right now so they can just find that peace I'm talking about. God, I pray for others that are just, just struggling right now. And their, their patience is being tested. God, I pray they'd get up and allow one of us to pray for them. Just to encourage them. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I pray you just lead it all into your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you guys stand, if you need to pray, have Bradley over here. You have J.D. over here. I'll be up here as well, but you come forward if you need to. Let's pray. I mean, let's worship. I worship you. 
Touching every heart 